Hi, everyone. I'm Marjorie, and this is another episode of Why We Do the Work, a podcast discussing the struggles of families battling cancer and industrial pollution. As with other episodes, I want to give a trigger warning because our conversations go pretty deep into discussions about cancer, and a lot of that is about childhood cancer. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. She's one of my dearest friends. We have boys that are the same age, which we did not plan at all, but we have boys that are the same age, and and her name is Leanne Rollins. Say hi, Leanne. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to have you here. I mean, you're all the way in North Carolina, but I feel like I'm right in the room with you, so I'm glad that you're here, and I'm so happy that you agreed to do this interview with us today. I think it's going to be really impactful. Before we get started, uh, I know a lot of folks know what cancer is. Most folks know what cancer is. I don't want to speculate what anyone knows or doesn't know. But for factual reasons, I looked up two definitions of cancer. And according to Dr. Google, cancer is a disease caused by uncontrolled division of cells in any part of the body. I also found that some of the body's cells grow uncontrollably and spread to other parts of the body. Cancer can start in almost any part of the body which is made up of a trillion cells. I had no idea that our body has, I mean, I knew we had a lot of cells, but I didn't have any idea that our body has a trillion cells. That's such a lot, that's such a big number. Anyway, who are you, Leanne? What are you doing here? (laughs) Who is Leanne? (laughs) Well, Leanne uh, grew up in Eugene, Oregon, uh, West Eugene, to be specific, the Bethel School District. I came from farmers and hunters and loggers, and then I entered the U.S. military, the United States Air Force, go Air Force. I served overseas during Bosnia-Herzegovina and the uprising in Somalia as a combat field medic. I came back and helped as a humanitarian during the 500-year flood in North Dakota. Then I went on to become a medic who worked not only ambulance, but in level one trauma center for over a decade. But what really brings me here today on this conversation with you would be the effects that cancer had in my personal life, my grandfather, my mother, my cousins, my sisters, my uncles, um, and countless family friends. So that's who Leanne is, and and I'm here here today. (laughs) You shared some stuff that I didn't know about, but Somalia and some other stuff stuff that you said, I was like, who's this woman? I didn't know all these things about you. I had no idea that you were over there, like, I mean, I knew that you were in the Air Force and whatnot, but I had no idea that you were over there, like, in, like, the front lines. I had no idea. I should actually gather though, because you are who you are. So I should know that you would be doing stuff like that. So we're here today to talk about cancer. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in your life who have been impacted by this and some of them have actually lost their lives to very dear to you and your one, your sweet, sweet mama. And we'll get a little bit more into exactly what type of cancer 
she and your grandfather had as we move on uh, with our discussion. But you have shared with me that you have had so many friends that lived in that area where you were raised and that were raised in the same area. And you told me that there is just an outrageous number of kids that have, have either died from cancer or are battling cancer right now. Can you share a little bit about those friends and, and what it was like to find out that here we are, another friend has cancer? What, what, right. what were you thinking when that was going on? Well, I'll be honest, you know, you hear about cancer when you're a young child. And I mean, I guess not, you know, now we hear about it a lot more, but back then it, it wasn't a huge thing. And I remember being eight years old and I went to uh, my mom's cousin's funeral. He had passed at like 48 from cancer up in Washington. Um, and then when I came back, I was in middle school and uh, there was a girl who got a tumor behind her eye and formed in her brain. And then we lost another friend, Jessica Verbisky, to a brain tumor right after our senior year. Now, mind you, I'm a young person. I know that cancer exists. So you don't really start thinking about, you know, is this, is this something going on in my community? You just think, wow, that's, that's really horrible for that person. And then, like I said, I was in the United States Air Force. So you go to other places and I was all around the world. And the more I moved and the more I was around, the more I started to realize that I had known and was around an exponential amount of people just in my very personal close life mm -hmm. who were battling cancer. And we're in our 20s. Right. We're in our 20s. Like you don't, you don't see, unless you're out traveling, you just don't see the cross section. And so you start to accept that as just your reality. Well, Coming back from where I had been, and the more friends that would call me and say, you know, I got the news, um, and they would break down, and and you break down with them, and you wonder why friend after friend is calling you, and they're coming down with this, and and you start to look around, and you feel a little helpless, yeah. you know, because you start realizing that this is bigger than what's going on in other areas. And you start doing research and, and then the helplessness really, you know, starts to settle in. So yeah. working at an eye center there in Eugene, Oregon, three different friends, one coworker that she was just a year younger than me in school, watched her go through a double mastectomy. Amy How West old was she when that happened? How old was she? 26. Wow. 26. And mind you, we're in our 40s now, Audrey. She's mm -hmm. been dealing with this and the fallout from the radiation and the repeated surgeries that eventually went into her bladder. Um, she's still dealing with the repercussions and has still not heard the words remission. Is this she's a friend that I've met? I don't want to interrupt. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is this a friend that I met? No, um, no, that's that's my other friend. That's oh, my wow. other friend, Jamie. So so to put this in context, basically the softball team at Willamette High School from the years of 93 graduating, 92 down to about 94, those girls all played ball together all throughout school. Um, Don Miller died from breast cancer at 20. Amy West was diagnosed at 26. 
um, and started going through treatment. Jamie Bodell, um, she's finally in remission. Janet uh, McCurran-Kunkel um, is still battling and it started as breast and then morphed into multiple cancers and multiple melomas that are still uh, invading her. Brandy Shalaki, also diagnosed initially with breast cancer, then went on to uh, into two different types of cancer. She's finally got the remission call. Then, so just from that one two-year time frame of those girls playing ball, mm -hmm. that's how many have dealt with just breast cancers alone that morphed into other things. The friend that you met of mine, Jamie Bodell. Okay. Um, that's that's the friend that you met that also um, had to have a double mastectomy and, and multiple surgeries after to and radiation, the, the radiation and the treatments. And, and she was single, no kids, no one to take care of her. That, that was a hard battle. That was a hard one for me. Yeah, um, I would say overall though, you know that um, Zion's diagnosis was next to my mother's. That was the hardest to accept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, your friend Jamie actually really touched me in a way. and it was during my wedding and it was really nice to see you at the mall. And I saw her and yeah. I met her and she gave me some encouraging words because this was before Zion had had her stem cell transplant and she was losing her hair and things like that were going on. And, you know, your friend was like, tell her to do this so that she, you know, use vitamin E on your eyebrows or make sure to use the vitamin E on or vitamin D on your scars so they don't scar. And I don't know that I told you, that or her, but that really, that really, really touched my, my heart and gave me something to tell my child, you know, here it is. Use this. Somebody that has cancer used this while she was going through radiation. And that was, I was able to share that with Zion. And, you know, at the time she's not really, she's not listening to me. You know, she's, she's blocked exactly. out a lot of what's happened with her with cancer. So you named a lot of friends and I think that that's super powerful to say their names because that shows that they're people and they're not just a statistic. So about how many friends do you think, I mean, you, you listed us probably like six friends. Would you say that there's way more people than that, that you maybe can't, I mean, that we, we can't, we don't have everybody's permission to say their name on here, but about how many friends do you think quote unquote, just, cause just, cancer, because that's what it seemed like. People were catching yes. cancer. You know, yes. It's not a cold. So, yes. um, just from my memory banks, just mm -hmm. from my memory banks, 19, Marjorie, 19, 19. Wow. That, yes. that is ridiculous. And the, these are young people. These, Very and I mean, young. nobody, nobody needs cancer, but these are young people with their whole lives ahead of them. Like, yes. hey, did you wonder during that time, did you wonder why, like, why, why is this happening? Why are my friends getting yes. sick? Like, did you, yes. Did and, you and honestly, Jamie, I, I, I hate to interrupt, but I'm it's so okay. on fire because honestly, Jamie and I, one of the things that we would do um, is we would go back over the corporations that encompass that area, the semiconductor companies. Um, a company that you took down, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of it, but 
yes, we sat down, we looked at where our waterways were, we looked at where we lived. Um, we're both highly intelligent people. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was no doubt in our minds that they were dumping illegally. We know that the treatment of railroad ties, the treatment of wood, um, just the production of wood, the chemicals that it brings about, we knew that they weren't dumping legally. Mm -hmm. We just were powerless to change it. I was living in Florida. She was so sick still in, in, in Oregon. And honestly, I, I think that we felt powerless, Audrey, but we knew who was doing it. Of course we knew because we did sit down. We have talked about it. We talked about it extensively. And she was so angry. She wanted to sue all of them. And I get it. I want to sue them too. You know, I want them to pay for what they've put my family through and what I had to go through and what my friends have had to go through, what you had to go through, all the calls, all the tears, all the hospital visits, all the feelings of helplessness, because that is the one very helpless feeling. You don't know when you get that diagnosis, if you will be the one who makes it or you will be the one who doesn't because it is not kind. It is not fair. And it feels earth shattering, earth and life shattering. So yeah, we sat around and talked about it. We still talk about it and you don't know, but her and I both, my whole family, we feel like you're our superhero. We <laughs> have someone on the front lines who is doing the things that we need to be done. Because honestly, as a family and as a community, we almost feel helpless, even though we know who they are. It's like a giant that you can't beat. Mm -hmm. How do I take down J.H. Baxter? How do I get enough people to listen to me? How do I get enough people to look at these cancer clusters? How do I get them to look at me past the sadness of just hearing that my mom mm -hmm. passed from cancer or all these friends that I have were sick? How do I get them past that to motivation to change? How do I get the vibration to slow down enough so that we all see the cause and effect and go after them? I mean, you really That's are our Oh, I love you, Pearl. You know, it's it's been a long fight of Beyond Toxics uh, out there in West Eugene, and I just feel fortunate yes. and blessed to be part of that. Do you think that when you went into nursing, do you think that that had anything to do with having had so many people in your life sick? Did that did that propel you to make you want to work in the medical field? No. <laughs> no. I wish that I could say, yes, all of those things. No, no, because really <laughs> I, I was given a job in the military and I was trained in that. Now, will I say that I'm sorry that the military chose that for me? No, because that had, that allowed me to save my children's father. That knowledge that I had allowed me to save Randy's life. I would never take back my military service, and I would never take back that the Air Force chose me to become medical. Um, what that allowed me to do was be a catapult for saving the boy's life and helping to get my mother diagnosed faster. Because do you know what they call the physicians who come in last in their class? They're called doctor. Don't ever forget that. So Having the, the training in the background that I had literally allowed me to save Randy's life.
my family's doctor was in the nice little clinic. I will not mention names because I do not have permission. And, mm-hmm. But it was my grandfather's doctor. It was my mother's doctor. It was my auntie's doctor. The, it was everyone's doctor. Well, guess who missed my grandfather's pancreatic cancer? That doctor. My mother still continued to go see him. I didn't realize that my mother had had multiple cases of pancreatitis um, that didn't need to be hospitalized. So the first time that she was hospitalized with pancreatitis, I said, mom, where did this come from? Because my mother doesn't drink. So one of the precursors for a lot of pancreatitis can be a drinker or a diabetic. Um, It's just a malfunction with your pancreas. She said, oh, well, I've had a couple bouts. Well, her father died from pancreatic cancer. Why have we not delved deeper into this? Oh, well, the doctor doesn't, you know, he thinks it's just these isolated events. Nope. So when a hospitalist came in who was associated with the hospital there, I said, what tests have we run to check her pancreas? Oh, well, we haven't. You know, we didn't think it was necessary. Her family doctor said that this has happened a couple times. And that it's fine. It's just some brief little episodes. And I looked at that hospitalist and I said, I know enough to know that she does not have any of the precursors that would give someone acute pancreatitis. Her Mm -hmm. father died from pancreatic cancer. We need to do a scan. Well, lo and behold, what did that scan find us? What cancer? So then fast forward. And I'm just going to go to why you trust your gut. You trust the symptoms that are happening inside of you. You know your body, okay, because they will tell you whatever. Mm -hmm. Randy, my ex-husband, most wonderful person in the world, really is, kept telling me, well, starting in Eugene, Oregon, he started telling me, I don't feel very well. So he went to the doctor. There were two labs that were out out of norm, which are enzymatic labs. It was his lipase and his amylase, but it was not high enough to be overly concerning to the doctor at the time. And really, honestly, for me, it wasn't high enough to be overly concerning. Those two numbers fluctuate. Um, I'm sorry, I just want to ask you one question about Randy, because I'm just really curious and I'm, I'm wondering if this memory is a real memory or if it's something that I'm making up. Did Randy work for the Bethel School District? Am yes, I remembering ma'am. that properly? Well, okay, he, worked, he, he, he worked for the 4J School District, but he interned for two years mm-hmm. in the Bethel School District. We lived in the Bethel District, honey. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to us living in Florida. It's now four years since the first time that he got that blood work back abnormal. Well, he started complaining of stomach pain. Long story short, went to his doctor, went to his doctor. It's fine. It's fine. One day he needs to come into the ER where I work. Well, that is not Randy Rollins. Fast forward to the doctor who tells me, as I'm saying, well, these, this amylase and this lipase has been elevated for this many years at this rate, and he's now having these said symptoms. And this doctor says, he's fine. He's being overdramatic, Leanne. 
okay. Well, I'm still going to need you to give me a referral to a GI. Okay, you can have that because I work with you. Well, thank you for being so kind to give that to me simply because we're coworkers. Fast forward to the GI doctor where I insist upon a colonoscopy, where he tells me, you would do this prep work, you would put your husband through this? And I said, sir, with all due respect, we have good insurance, you're being paid regardless, humor me. That doctor, after that procedure, actually had tears in his eyes when he called me back. He said, I am so sorry, I never expected to find this in your husband at this age, right? So just trust your gut. That's my, I know we went a little off topic, but. (laughs) Okay, that's okay. The doctor, listen, the doctor who comes in last in their class still gets their degree. Just always remember that. And not all doctors are trying to be malicious. They aren't, but you always trust your gut. And you go see someone else if you need to. He would have died if he had listened to that doctor in the ER. And my mom would not have had those additional years if I had not insisted on that extra test. Let me rewind us back a little bit about pancreatic cancer, because what is so shocking to me is that, and I never thought about this. I I, I don't think I ever really thought about, you never really shared with me anything about your grandpa or if he had symptoms or anything like that. But what I thought was so profound was that they literally shared a backyard. Their houses were like, there was like a house in between your grandmother's house and your parents' house, which was not yes. that far yeah. away from yes. um, the, indus- the industry out that way. So mm-hmm. I thought, you don't just catch cancer. So when your right. grandfather had um, cancer and he ended up losing his life, did he have symptoms or did your mom have symptoms? Were there any, I mean, I know you said that she had some bouts with, I can't remember what the word is that you said. She had some bouts with something going on with her pancreas. Before that, how long did your mom have that cancer? And you have to, you have to uh, forgive me for not knowing the exact times, because from what you said, it sounded like she was having these bouts. So how long did she have that? And did she have symptoms when that, that was happening? Yes, she, she did have symptoms. She had symptoms for probably a year and a half prior to the actual diagnosis. And because that doctor, he was just negligent. There's just no other word for it. The man was just negligent. And my mother loved him and adored him as a person. And that was our downfall. So her symptoms, he wrote off as other things. Um, She felt excessively tired. And my mother loved food and she didn't love exercise. And so (laughs) he was a little fluffy. Um, And so he always counted things as her weight. Well, you're overweight, Roberta. And she accepted it. And honestly, because my mother was the type of woman she was, she didn't overly share all the time. I didn't know that along with the fatigue and all of these other symptoms that she was exhibiting, that she actually was having bouts of pancreatitis. And my mother should have not been having bouts of pancreatitis. Yeah. Yeah. But it was ignored. She was definitely having symptoms. My grandfather, the same thing. Randy was, you know, all of my friends who had cancer 
were having symptoms and because they were so young, it was ignored. And in my mother, it was because they had a negligent doctor. Yeah. And, and really when you, when you look at things, so we all shared backyards because originally um, my father, well, my stepfather's family owned all of the street that we grew up in. So everyone who lived in that neighborhood and grew up on those two streets, um, Bell Street, Ruskin, they have all pretty much died from cancer. They all have contracted cancers except for my, a few of the uncles. It's, it's really quite astounding. I, w- I want to get into a little bit of emotion here, and I'm hoping I'm not going to make this hard on you, but all these friends that have had cancer, you know, everybody was sick, and then your grandfather was sick. And we'll yes. talk a little bit about um, how your grandmother was doing, living right there and eating her vegetables and doing all that. Right. Right. So <laughs> how, how, and I never asked you this at the time, because why would I ask you how you were feeling about your mom? being sick but when you found out that your mom was sick what did you think were you like oh gosh now my mom has it what what were you feeling like when she said Leanne I have pancreatic cancer in that moment it felt like death had just ascended upon me I had never really met a cancer survivor at that point. Mm-hmm. Cancer literally meant death. They had all died. The first cousin, Stephen, Morris Nelson, Les Judd, they were all gone. Ishmael Nelson. No one that I knew that had cancer lived. And so I literally felt like, and, and especially pancreatic cancer. So when you get the cancer diagnosis, I didn't realize this until many years later, but there are certain cancers that because due to the research and the work put behind it, it is a better cancer to have if we can use those terms. Breast cancer has the most funding and research because we put our high heels on, we did bake sales, No one was doing anything about it. So guess what? We got up and we did. But when you talk about pancreatic cancer, there's very little research and the survival rate was 4%. Wow. So when you're handed those numbers and you've already had one of the closest people to you in your life, your grandpa, pass from that, it was literally like death had become us. And I knew what was getting ready to happen. My stepfather, he's not a snuggly, huggy guy. He's not a take care of you when you're sick guy. He is a get up and handle it guy. Mm -hmm. Um, My brothers, they're not going to be able to do that. So who's going to take care of her but me? And not that I'm not happy to take care of her, but I don't want to take care of you because of this, for this. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to be real. I don't want this to be today. I wanted you to call me, honestly, and tell me that I was wrong. That with all my self-righteousness, standing up to that hospitalist and insisting upon him testing you, that I was wrong. 
But that wasn't going to be the answer. It was going to be that there was just some strange anomaly and that you were getting bouts of pancreatitis and that we were, they were going to be able to fix it. That there was going to be a pill and you could just take that pill or take that shot and it was going to be okay. And so I was never so horrified to be right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry to ask that question and to get into that feeling. I don't know if you've ever said that to anyone, but, you know, I think it's really important to talk about how it impacts the families. You know, it impacts these, it impacts the person that's sick, of course, but it does also impact the families. And I, I feel fortunate to have known your mother. I feel like it went really fast. Um, I was pregnant with Zion at the time and I feel like it just went really fast. Like we found out she was sick. She was in the hospital and then she was on hospice and then, then she was like gone. And it's how long did it take? It seems like it was really quick. It was about a year and a half after we got her diagnosis that we lost her. I, I truly believe that because she wanted to live so much my mother was such a beautiful soul my god and all her grandkids she wanted to grow old and like I said she had been a little fluffy before and then add on cancer you can't do multiple surgeries on someone like that and extend their life when the surgeries are not successful my grandfather's Whipple procedure that's a procedure that they do where they kind of go outside of the body of the pancreas because they can't remove the tumor and it buys you time, right? Well, the way my mother's tumor lied, it was right directly center of the pancreas. So the Whipple procedure, there was a board of doctors who went in, board of surgeons who went in and sat in a room and discussed the case. None of the other surgeons would touch it. One surgeon, I know he wanted to practice. I mean, let's be real. Let's just, let's just talk realistically. This was a young surgeon. My mom was a pancreatic a cancer patient. She had a tumor lying right in the midst of the pancreas. If he can perform this Whipple procedure properly, he can, he can take this to the next level. Well, this was like my mom's fourth procedure and she agreed to have it. And I backed her up on that wholeheartedly because really Audrey, at the end of the day, it was either going to buy more time or it wasn't. So I know just from a medical standpoint that we probably lost a little time having those surgeries, but it gave her peace of mind that she was doing something and it gave me hope for her. (laughs) It was too fast. It was way too fast, but she was trying to hang on. You know, sometimes the thing that you're trying to go for so much can actually be the cause of why it happens, you know? Um, So. I believe that maybe had she not done so many procedures, we we probably would have had, you know, you just don't, I know it would have bought probably another year or two. We had four years from the time of my grandfather's diagnosis um, until the time he finally passed. We literally had about a year and a half from the time of my mom's diagnosis until the time that we lost her. Yeah. Not enough time with such an amazing woman. Oh, she was a beautiful sweet would never hurt anybody just everybody was her family 
Yes. I feel yes. very fortunate and blessed to have known your mother and share so many memories, um, funny memories that we're, I yes. want to end with. Not, not, not yet, because there's a couple of things I want to ask you, but we're going to, we're going to pay homage to your mom in a way that I know that she would want, because yes. this is a, this is a very sad, hard subject that we're talking about. And we're talking about her, but I know that just being the happy, beautiful soul, funny lady that she was, she would want us to um, make sure that folks know that there were some good times there with me and you and your mother. And there's a lot of memories yeah. I have, um, but I want to talk a little bit about your grandmother because nobody knew what was wrong with her. She was having all these breathing problems. She couldn't swallow. They were like, oh, well, you just have this or you just have that. They didn't have a definitive answer as to what was wrong with her. Now, right. knowing what I know now and seeing her little self out there in the her garden and her strawberries and she'd give us her crystal light or whatever, but just, you know, eating her food that she grew in this her yard that was just tainted, I know, I believe that she was it was impacting her health as well. A hundred percent. That woman should have lived to 120. Yeah. Like honestly, with as active and as healthy as my grandmother was, a hundred percent, I believe that it's from that. I, you know, I didn't understand fully until I lived in, in Florida, the significance of leaching from our fruits and vegetables on the soil, but all of those esophageal constrictors, everything that she went through with her breathing, that's hundred percent due to living in that backyard and eating almost solely from that backyard. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we didn't, you know, we weren't thinking about it. It's no. that's, that's the thing that makes me so frustrated in this whole situation is that West Eugene is such a lively, growing, thriving community that has children and families and, and it's all inclusive and everybody is walking around not knowing that they're exactly. being impacted negatively. Exactly. I wasn't, you Honestly, know, I wasn't, do, I wasn't doing you? the research that you were doing until right. Ryan got sick. So I was like, just walking around. Oh, we live in the industrial area. Oh, there's another smoke snack. Now that stinks, but we're not, we weren't right. thinking I know that I personally was not thinking, and as I've been doing my work with Beyond Toxics and speaking to people, I'm finding that they weren't really thinking about it either. They were they were concerned about what was going on at that facility, but they didn't really know how it was impacting their lives. Like, if I think of a highly toxic area, then I think of barren wasteland. I think of yeah. things not growing. When you pull up into West Eugene, it's beautiful. My God, the trees, the water, it's clear. Well, who knew that those plants grow to remediate the soil and that they can still grow amongst those things? And that even though that river does look crystal clear, those toxins are almost microscopic and they sink through on your skin. I didn't realize that until you really start delving in and then you almost look at it and you're like, 
boy, you're a tainted paradise. You know what I mean? Whoa. But how would, how would you look at the beauty over there and think to yourself, this is a toxic dump. This is, we're literally living in a toxic dump and And we should probably do something about this. It's it's green Eugene, you know, and it's it's other parts of the community, other parts of Eugene aren't having to deal with the type of things that are happening out in West Eugene. And West Eugene is now being put on the map with things that have been going on, you know, with the work with, with Beyond Toxics in the community out there out in West Eugene. But you know, nobody was thinking about us out there. Nobody no, was thinking I know. about it. You know, it was the industrial I, area. I don't want to go out to the industrial area. Well, that was right. our home. Right. Um, right. I have one question um, about your uncle. And then I'm going to tell you the sweet, I'm going to share the sweet thing with um, our listeners that he shared with me. And then we're going to talk about how um, we have a couple of funny memories with your mom. Your uncle is currently still battling cancer is that yes is and when was how long has he been fighting this cancer Mm, long time at least seven years yeah he he and my sister-in-law brenda she's been she's been battling almost a decade yeah but he's been battling over seven years yeah Mm -hmm. and it's metastasized in both of them in different areas but They literally keep fighting the fight and I'm amazed by them. But yes, greater than, than eight years. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Decades. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's, 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 it's equivalent to his glory years. You know what I mean? It's really sad. When we were, you were here visiting and we got to go out to your auntie's house and be out there. I love going out there. We were out there hanging out and visiting and, your your dad and your uncle were talking about your both your uncles were talking about you know are you involved in what's going on down there in West Eugene and keep up the good work and and saying all these things which is I was happy that they were saying that and then as I was leaving out and I told you this but I want to share it with everybody else because I think it's really really sweet and it's very relevant and significant to what we're talking about today as I was leaving, he came over and I don't think he's ever given me a hug, but he came over and he put his arm around me and he had tears in his eyes. And this isn't, this isn't a meek man, you know, no. he's, he's no. not meek. And no. so he put his, his arm around my shoulders and, and he had tears in his eyes and he just said, thank you so much for the work that you're doing out there. Thank you for, for fighting, for doing that, because now you have given me why he said, I didn't know why. I was sick. I didn't know why dad was sick. I didn't know why mom was sick. I didn't know why we lost Verda. He said, but because of the work that you're doing, because of the work you're doing with your organization, I know why. And I felt so just, I was so proud right then when he said that, because I was able to give somebody a reason why, why is this happening? Because you feel like your family's cursed. Yep. So that was really a really special moment for me right then with your uncle. And I feel like it's going to, it, it's going to not change our relationship, but it's going to, there's going to be a closeness there that there wasn't before. And right. I think that that's beautiful because, you know, I love your family. Um, they love you so too. And now, would, literally now you are the superhero of the family because <laughs> it, it is, it's, it's actually been great to be the person who came back with a friend who's now going to fix this. 
it, cancer has affected our family so deeply and just so tragically where we had to sit and, and literally take care of them until they took their last breath. You don't ever go back to being the same person again. And then to be scared, like I know my Uncle Bill is literally scared that he's going to leave before his time. And now he knows that there's someone who could tell him why. We all get to have you and I get to be the one who brought you there. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Not going to lie. I yeah. love you so much. So I want to end today on a really, really sweet note. And Are I don't we going to talk about members only? I'm, I'm going to let you talk about the members only because I want us <laughs> both to, to end on a on a great uh, message for your mom and, and something that I know because she was funny. So I think she would just she think it's real funny. So I'm going to let you do the members only. But it was a moment when she was in the hospital before she went to, into hospice. And... Um, we were in the end of the room and I just remember the, the room, the blue light, you know, that light, the hospital light, but yeah. there was a hall light that was sort of shining right on your mom. And I was standing there with your mom and she's holding out of my hand and you and your auntie had gone out for a minute. So it was just me and your mom for a second. And, you know, she was getting to the point where she didn't know what was going on, you know? Yeah. And so she didn't, she didn't really know what was happening. And for just one minute, there was a clarity there. She looked at me and she said, take care of my girl. You look after my girl. Take care of her. And I said, yes, ma'am, of course. I'm always going to take care of her. That's my girl, too. And then she went back to not knowing what was going on. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to condone. I'm going to talk about cigarettes here for a second, y'all, but I, I'm not condoning cigarettes. We're not saying that that's fine. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But she went back to not knowing what was going on. And she was looking at me and she goes, just one, just one, just give me a little puff, 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 puff. And I was like, no, you're not having a puff of anything. You're laying in the hospital sick. Stop thinking about those things. Stop thinking about, stop thinking about cigarettes. But she was thinking about it up until she loved those. So, you know, that was just a really funny, sweet memory. It really um, was. Just give me a little puff. Yeah, it no. was really cool. So you're not having anything, Berta. So. I just wanted us to be able to both share a memory of your mom. And I, I'm letting you have the good one. I mean, that was, that was a real special moment that I had with your mom. That was, that was for us. Why don't you tell us about those members only jackets? Yeah, tell so people nothing, what a members only jacket is first, because we have a lot okay. of youngsters out there that don't know right, what that is. Right, right, right. So it was this really super hip jacket that the insignia on your breast said for members only that thing had zips and snaps and you were it if you had a members only jacket back in the 80s so yeah, fast really forward 80s. to 2003 and my mom uh, loved the Judds loved the singers Judds and they were coming to a casino out on the coast and so she wanted Audrey and I to go with her Heck yes, we'd love to go with you. So we all head out there. Well, you know, it was a really nice day. 
But then you forget that it gets cool on the water in the nighttime. And somehow, while while Audrey and I had walked away from my mom for a moment, um, she had attracted a Larry. And Larry was very nice, but Larry really liked my mom. Well, Audrey and I come back complaining, and, you know, we're outside, complaining of how cold we are. And Larry says, oh, I've got something for you in the car. And so we go out to Larry's car, and lo and behold, he he wants a date with my mom so bad. He whips out two members-only jackets. And so... (laughs) As Audrey and I are swishing ourselves back into the casino, the running joke was that dude doesn't have a members only jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Any guy who would look at us, you don't have a members only jacket. You can't, you don't have it like Larry. Yeah. So yeah, we felt so cool in those members only jackets. (laughs) I would like a members only jacket now, actually. But you know what? We went out to the car with that guy. What the heck were we thinking? Well, I've got something in the car for you. Who knows? Like, I mean, now, Arjun, now, I know. with all the crime shows really and different things that I've, I've been watching, yeah. there's yeah. no way in heck I would have gone out there to the car with a man that said I have something for you. But it was I, funny. I know. I know. In hindsight. But this, you know, don't do that, girls. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't go out in the car with anybody if they said <laughs> they have something for you because it's not good. It's normally not a members only jacket. <laughs> we're the ones that got the members only jackets your mom was the one that found this man had found her she should have had one of those jackets but no i don't know what she, she didn't had we got the she, we got the, she put her own coat she was roberta don't get it twisted oh yeah she had a she coat. Got everything in that trunk shoot she had winter wear had it start snowing my mom would have something <laughs> but, but oh. just only for her you know what i mean yeah, wasn't for everybody. It was for her. She was prepared. That woman was always prepared. Yeah, we love yeah. it. We love you, Berta, and we miss you. Uh, we miss her. Yes, Leanne. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's like we're in the same room together, even though we're not. I think we should have these Zoom meetings every once in a while, just me and you, so we can chit chat and be able to see. No, we're not going to do that. Never mind. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking. I'm definitely not going to do that, but I'll keep calling you. We can talk for hours and hours. Yeah, we talk on the phone. We're not video. We're not that generation. Yeah. I don't need to see what you're doing over there. I'm fine. No, I don't need to see. What you, I know what you're doing. So. Yeah, I know what you're doing. But everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on Why We Do the Work. And come back next week where we'll be hopefully interviewing someone else. I'm not sure. I'll have a surprise for you at that time. So. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Why We Do the Work.